first time in an airplane. It was on my honeymoon with Nick. We're going to New York. Short flight, no problem, right? Well, suddenly the plane hits turbulence, right? Me and Nick were thrown all around that bathroom. I just wanted to let you know about my study group. Oh, don't be a fuddy-duddy. I'll be your study buddy. I'm about to embark on one of the great challenges of my scientific career. This work right here is going to change history. I think this is going to be our greatest mission. I don't have time to study. I'll never get into Stanford. I got big plans for you tonight. I got maps. I got charts. I'm going to see you through this because my credibility is on the line. It's at this point that you'll want to start taking notes. Welcome to the Sitcom Study, the podcast where we contemplate the TV shows we grew up with and search for the truth and wisdom within the tropes and cliches. And today we have a high-flying lineup of shows. What are we talking about today, Amy? Today we are talking about a fear of flying. All of our episodes, someone in the cast is afraid to fly and hilarity ensues. So we're going to be watching Sanford and Son, Season 3, Episode 8, Super Flyer, Three's Company, Season 6, Episode 25, Up in the Air, Cheers, also Season 6, Episode 19, Airport 5. And finally, Blackish, Season 2, Episode 7, Charlie in Church. So looking over the options for the fear of flying, it's interesting that this is one that there's a lot of them sort of from the old days. And then as time goes on, it still pops up, but it becomes less of a thing. Uh, Right. It becomes more of like the sub plot or the C plot. It's never, it's like, you know, not really central to the main story. It's sort of like an extra thing that they throw in there. And I think that's kind of because there's not really that much to do with it, which is what we saw in these episodes. Well, and also just because as time goes on in the real world, we're getting used to flying. You know, the first show that we're talking about is from 1972. I think. Right. So in the 50 years uh, that have gone by, I think you still have people freaked out about flying. But yeah, it's 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 just less of a thing. You're saying that there's fewer people that have not had an opportunity to fly. So that's yeah, that it's that more why. of a common thing in life. One of the big ones we're not talking about is The Simpsons, the one where Marge has a fear of flying. Um, Because we just talked about The Simpsons. But that's one where it's all about, like, it sort of goes into her past where she's a little girl Mm -hmm. and gives you some fun sort of flashbacks and stuff. So uh, just sort of throwing it out there as we get into the different... The different ways that the fear of flying is sort of, you know, tapped into in these different episodes. That's another one that's sort of like uh, we can use that to talk about, you know, childhood trauma. Yeah, um, the backstories. Another one that we're not that we're not touching on on this episode is the pilot episode of the Bob Newhart show mm-hmm. sees um, his wife, Susanna Plachette, being scared to fly. And that one sort of had a similar pathway because Bob Newhart in the Bob Newhart show is a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's so he's a therapist. And also in Cheers, Fraser Crane is a therapist. So we saw sort of a similar plot line there where the person who's scared about flying and then the person who is the therapist and they solve the problems in various and sundry ways yeah so amy do you are you afraid of flying 
or do you know anyone who is? I am not afraid of flying, and I've watched my mom get more and more nervous as she's gotten older. So I remember flying with her when we were younger, and she would always, you know, sort of like lean her head back and breathe during takeoff and landing. But it wasn't like what we see in these episodes where people are hilariously freaking out and wearing all sorts of trinkets. We have two different episodes where people reveal that they have all of these these religious religious (laughs) trinkets to keep them safe. But yeah, it was never anything, you know, over the top like that. And then as time has gone on, she's just gotten more and more nervous about it and more and more vocal about how she is nervous about it, how she doesn't really like to fly. Now, is it because... She will if she has to. Is it because like she sort of finds it unpleasant or is it because like, I think I might die? I think the plane might crash. She had a scary experience one time where the plane dropped like, you know, 10,000 feet in two oh, seconds okay. or so whatever. So she had the same experience as uh, Anthony Anderson's character, basically, that in, we're going to yes, get to. in Blackish. Black-ish. Yeah. He, had mm-hmm. a, he had a previous scary experience, and that was why he was afraid to fly, which I think, to your point, is a more modern reason that people are a little yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm not afraid to fly either. I don't like it for various reasons, more having to do with the airport experience. Um, well, and the fact that... He- you have really long legs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I find it uncomfortable, but I uh, am, I think, like most people in the modern world, just sort of comforted by the statistics and just the sort of basic knowledge that we have. But my grandma was very much in the boat with Sanford, where she was like, you're crazy. Like flying, getting into a giant metal thing that's going to go up thousands of feet in the air is dumb. You're stupid if you <laughs> do that. Don't do that. That's uh, scary. So, yeah, I sort of recalled her, you know, attitude about it when we were watching these. But let's uh, let's get into it. Let's yeah, get into let's Sanford and Son. So Sanford and Son, uh, the plot of this show is that the main character, Red Fox, Fred Sanford, he has an uncle that he doesn't even remember who has died and lives or lived in St. Louis. And he's inherited $1,500 from him. So the stipulation is he has to go to St. Louis to claim the $1,500 and also do the funeral arrangements. So he and his son Lamont off, they, they go to uh, the airport with all of Fred's protestations. So Sanford and son, uh, I've never watched this. So oh, even I, like in reruns and stuff back in the day? No, I knew of it. And uh, yeah, it, it's a fun dynamic. And, you know, there's there's just something so straightforward about like, you know, maybe there were other supporting characters in the show in other episodes, but we don't get any of that here. We get nope. these two guys. One's the straight man, one's the funny guy. One's young, one's old, one's easygoing, one's cranky. It's just like this very simple sort of Smothers Brothers, like just classic comedy, you know, dynamic. And yet, right from the start, it's just like this this guy has a funny personality. We're going to build the scenes around that. And his little turns when he's he's saying i've never heard of him you know he's suspicious of the the lawyer that's come to tell him about the will and then he switches into this 
faux sadness. He's like a little puppy dog. He's so sad about the uncle or whatever. And uh, it's it's really funny. He's really good. Yeah, no, he's very funny. I think another one of his like characteristics sort of throughout the series, Fred Sanford, that is, is uh, the uh, – like the lack of trust in the authorities where his son is a little bit more like, come on pop, like, you know, this, mm-hmm. it's gonna, it's fine. Like you can talk to this guy, you know, when he assumes that the attorney is a fed or a cop or some like something else yeah. when he shows up. And, and like you said, keeps telling him, keeps giving him fake stories until he finds out he's getting the money. And then he's, Oh, and starts, fake crying, the alligator tears, my favorite uncle and what and whatever. So there's a running joke throughout this episode where he keeps asking for uh, Jackie, the flight attendant, mm-hmm. Jackie. Um, and this is back still. Many of these episodes are back in the day where stu- the term stewardess was still yeah. in fashion. And, and they're they're talking about that because it was part of the advertising campaign. Right. It would be like, I'm Jackie. Come ride me in the sky or something come ride weird. ride with me. <laughs> it's a TWA. Okay. So it was a TW- apparently a TWA advertisement at that time. And um, yeah, so... It was, uh, hi, I'm Jackie. Fly me to St. Louis. That yeah. was like the TWA. That's creepy as hell. Fly me to St. Louis. That's weird. <laughs> so that's why he keeps looking for Jackie. And then they have they have a very questionable joke at the end where all, the, all of the flight attendants that have come through have been, you know, attractive women. And then... On the flight back, he asks the first flight attendant that stops by, like, hey, are you Jackie? Where's Jackie? This is, you know, the third or fourth time we get this joke. And she goes, oh, do you want to see Jackie? Okay. And she goes and gets her. And they have this woman who has no makeup on and has a very dour face, um, gives him a very sort of stern look. And then he's like, yeah, she's ugly. The that's the joke. That's they the joke. put out well, a she, casting notice. We need wasn't. an ugly lady to be in our sitcom so we can end the entire episode. On this joke. On this joke about how ugly she is. How ugly she is. But let's back up. The the premise of the episode is, you know, there's they have to fly across the country to deal with the affairs of their uncle that they never knew. And yeah, you really get that sense of like, this is what a situation comedy was meant to be. You know, we got this situation. Bring in the comedy. Yeah, we and got Red Fox is that. Like he's hilarious. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> he can make a meal out of the sentence and I. Like he's so funny. Yeah. You really feel the connection to theater. Like you really yeah. feel the relationship they have with the live audience and how this is just one step removed from something that would be just a live performance. Right. Absolutely. Um, There's several times where characters have whole movements that are going on like the blocking continues without any dialogue because the audience is laughing so hard and and it is it's just it's it's silliness so what are the things that i wanted to get your thoughts on for each episode but we can start with this one the amazing plain sets that oh, we yeah. get in each episode okay. so- which is very little like any plane I've ever been yeah. on. Before we're on the plane, I wanted to note, uh, we happened to, for our own reasons, watch a Family Ties episode that took place in an airport the other day. Oh, yeah, that's right. I don't know what it is. In the 80s, airports in TV sitcoms looked like doctor's offices. 
Uh-huh. Well, it's that small regional airport look, right? Where they have these partitions and, and stuff. And you walk up directly to a counter and, you know, and it was all very much like, you know, not a lot of security. Although yeah. this, this episode, the San Francisco episode we watched was, had a very funny looking metal detector that was, it looked like two cardboard tubes that um. they painted silver with, um, light up little balls on top i thought that was funny yeah so the airport it just it has this smallness to it that it looks like you're going to the dentist office or something and of course you know because sanford's main take on flying he's scared of it but he's also just grumpy in general so they're going to use every step of the process of flying to you know have fun with how he would react to these different situations having to be frisked in security and all that but to your question about the airport set i don't know i mean you know you you know what to expect from a show like this so it was as lifelike as as i would hope for and you have the weird 70s styles right yeah so i thought it was really interesting because they had okay so this is two out of the four episodes that we watched the people were flying first class so we got to see first class and this is when they called it second class first class and that's right second class was behind the curtain they hadn't come up with any euphemisms yet (laughs) it wasn't coach so so fred and uh and his son were flying first class and they had these really sort of nice covered in almost a very like 1970s tweed jacket sort of fabric and then in front of them they were sitting in the front row but in front of them there were smaller red leather seats that didn't look anything like the seats they were sitting like the jump seats that the flight attendants are supposed to sit in maybe maybe, because they you know no one ever sat in them because it was in front of the action so they were empty and so I, I was like, well, if they're in first class, what are those seats that are in front of them? But yeah, of course, you know, you only get, you know, a dozen or so seats. Right. It's a little chunk of a thing. But yeah, love all of the, you know, what happens when you're on a flight? Well, you have to listen to their little spiel about what to do if, you know, an emergency happens. We get fun humor with that. We get the guy, you know, the problems that we deal with all the time, uh, smoking on the airplane, right? Remember those times? And so, Back in the day when they were they were smoking on airplanes, yes, there's a there's a funny comedy moment <laughs> where this guy lights up a cigarette next to Red Fox, and he's like, "Are you serious? Are you really going to do that here?" And then the guy unbuckles his seatbelt and stands up, and he's you know seven feet tall, he's enormous, and so then Red starts talking to the guy behind him, being like, "You got to put that cigarette out." Yeah. Which I I thought I thought Sanford could take him. I mean, just because. The guy's doing tall. okay, Moose. You're doing all right. He called him Moose. The guy's tall, but he's a schlubby, dorky-looking guy. Yeah, uh, I mean, he was he was tall and he was broad too. And you know, look at the way Red walks in this in this yeah. show. Like you know, Sanford is not he's, a young he's man for sure. He's not a young well, man. He walks like he needs a knee or a hip replacement a little bit. And I don't know if if in his life if that was a character choice or at that point maybe he was old enough that he was actually walking that way. Yeah. You get lots of good uh, stuff with them on the plane. Like I said, just reacting to the different, you know, aspects of it. 
And then eventually they they reach their destination and find out like, you don't get to keep any of this money. Uh, Your uncle that you've been pretending to be mourning, he just, he just basically chose you to handle the logistics of his funeral. To handle the funeral arrangements, which by the time they got there, the attorney had already handled and then just needed him to sign that check over to him for the funeral arrangements. So it turned out to kind of be a scam anyway. Yeah, but it got him on a plane and, uh, you know, there's some, uh, the lawyer says something about like, you know, we will have him interred. And Sanford's like, well, I hope you bury him too. You know, some of that sort of classic lowbrow, highbrow uh, kind of stuff. <laughs> but yeah, this this reminded me of the Laverne and Shirley pilot in the sense that you go back to these old ones and you just get that pure sitcom stuff you know you just get that hey what if a couple of crazy girls were invited to a fancy party you know what if this crotchety old dude had to get on an airplane for the first time you know and there's just there's a simplicity to it that's really fun yeah there um a couple of goofs in the episode that made me laugh when he pulls out the trinkets his all of his religious trinkets and he's got a, a crucifix and a star of david and a this and a buddha and and then and then it's like a charm necklace that he you know that he pulls out of his pocket that's what set the metal detector off and the buddha comes off and like bounces away and Red Fox is right on it. He like bends down, picks it up. Well, he doesn't look anywhere near as rickety as he had when he was walking sure. a second ago because he grabs it really quick so it doesn't bounce off the set and then continues on with the scene. Always love a good like accidental, you know, happening where they stay in character and keep it rolling. Definitely. He even had a little verbal, a few little verbal things where I could tell he just sort of like said something a little differently than how it was it was in the script or said something twice. And yeah, they just have a spontaneity where it's like, sure, we'll stop if you really mess up. But otherwise, like, we're going to keep it going, you know? And his son, um, Lamont, right? His whole thing is staring awkwardly or just sort of like giving his dad withering looks. Like that's his, like so much of of his character is just this, you know, like, you know, exasperated silence looking at his dad. And just setting him up. Just, just ever, just feeding him setups. Just going like, oh, you know, dad, they say that the, the most dangerous aspect of going to the plane at dot, dot, you know, just whatever they, they need to give him for him to then have his funny rejoinder. So this is also, um, two of the episodes that we have in this lineup are named after movies. So this is a play on the black exploitation film Superfly, because mm-hmm. this is named Super Flyer. And then the Cheers episode is Airport Five, which there had been four airport movies. Yeah, yep. there had been four what airplane movies or whatever. So Airport is the serious movie that airport airplane is, is a spoof is of. Is a spoof of. Right. So there had been four airport movies then, and this was Airport 5. So shall we move on to Three's Company? Three's Company. This is season six, episode 25. We're already past um, where we had, uh, was it Suzanne Summers? Yeah. So we're already past the time when she is on the show. She's left and we have Terry, uh, who doesn't feature, doesn't play a big role in this episode. This is mostly Janet and Jack and they are going to a fancy party uh, on an island 
that's hosted by none other than Greg Brady, yeah, special guest star Barry Williams, and um, Janet has a crush on this guy. He's very wealthy. This is his beach house or his country home or whatever. And they're going to, they're going to have this, he's giving this party and he asks her to bring a date. And she's very upset because they had had a date. So she asked Jack to pretend to be somebody fancy and go with her. Jack, we then find out, is afraid to fly. So he talks to their other neighbor or his friend or whatever. And said, and his friend's like, oh, I'll just get you tranquilizers. You'll be able to fly and it'll be fine. Yeah. So he does. And they go to the party. And then funny things happen. So Three's Company, I don't know. What, what's what's your relationship with Three's Company? Three's Company is another one like Sanford and Son for me that I, I it was on on reruns and I would watch it sort of intermittently, right? Like the stuff that was on in the afternoon and reruns, the, Saved by the Bell was always on. And so I would always try to catch that. But they usually would play like three episodes in a row. And I... I would watch one and then I would change the channel and watch other things. And the other things that were on at that time were these kinds of shows. So I liked to watch Three's Company and, and, um, and I liked a little bit of Stanford and Son as well, but it was, they were never the main, like they weren't the reason that I turned the TV on in the afternoon when I got home from school. But yeah, and there were a lot of jokes I remember from Three's Company that were over my head. Yes. I would say the whole premise of the show was over my head when I was a kid. The idea that it's a guy pretending to be gay. Yeah, so but that really could... only lasts that first season. Yeah, I guess the whole thing was just not something I would have been into at that time. Because not only are there no kids or young people on the show, the whole premise of it is grown up, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that I see, and I don't, I only know that as like a storyline from that pilot, from that, mm -hmm. like a first episode, because after that, it just becomes some other little funny physical comedy that John Ritter is doing when the landlord comes around. Yeah. And, and that is just, that's what made me laugh at this show is just the physicality and John Ritter's silly faces and all of that. Yeah. So let's talk about John Ritter for a minute, because I feel like obviously if you're looking back on three's company, that's, you know, that's the heart of it, right? That's why everyone would love it. Cause John Ritter was this beloved figure and definitely, you know, he's another one of these guys, just like when we started watching Night Court and I saw how Harry Anderson is, you know, he's one of those 80s sort of mild mannered, nice guy leading men, you know, in the style of an Alan Alda or something mm -hmm. that, you know, we're past we're past the tough guy, John Wayne types, you know, now we can have these guys that are a little, you know, maybe some of them are going to be nerdy, like Woody Allen, maybe them, maybe some of them are going to be more, you know, mellow, like uh, Albert Brooks, uh, whoever. And, and he's another one of those guys, another one of those kind of, you know, you, you understand why the premise of the show was him posing as a gay man, even if maybe that those stereotypes don't totally hold up anymore. You get that he's, uh, he's not a tough guy. Yeah. I was surprised at the extent to which I found him a little annoying. And he was, he was a little more manic and a little more sort of turned up than I would have thought. Well, and I, I don't remember, you know, I haven't watched these, I've watched the show in so long. So I don't really remember if this is more than normal. I mean, 
obviously the dance sequence sure, is even way before that. more than normal. But yeah, I feel like the way he, you know, his faces and his sort of weirdness and the way he kind of pratfalls and is like jumpy about things. I, I feel like that's pretty much who he is. Like that's kind of like the character yeah, in the show. But And he's also a little more like, like his first big joke of the episode is Terry is telling him about a book or a movie or book. something. Mm-hmm. And he gives her this big sarcastic sort of like piss off kind of line and storms off. And it was just, I, I don't remember the joke exactly, yeah. but I just kind of remember going like, Oh, okay. It's not like I hate him or anything, but like, Oh, this is a little bit more aggressive and just a little bit, different than the sort of image I had in my mind. Well, I mean, she was describing the plot of this book and it was dumb. <laughs> yeah. It was didn't you say something like I you know, I can't wait to see the movie or whatever? Like yeah. like ugh. Yeah, he's a little mean. And again, it's I'm not saying it was horrible or anything, but it just from that point on, I just noticed him being uh just a little harder to take than I (laughs) expected. You expected. Well, so when I was looking him up and, and thinking, how did he come to like, where did he come from? You know, like what did he act in before he got this show? This was a major, you know, starring role or whatever. Apparently Billy, he beat out 50 people to star in the show. Cause the show is um, based off. It's like a, it's a British import. So it's based off of a show, uh, a British show called man about the house. Same sort of, I think just like in the office, the first season or the first few seasons of man about the house and three's company plot, same scripts. Yeah. Like they just retooled them for American audiences and that, mm-hmm. then that's what they did. But Billy Crystal was one of the guys who was up for this role. Could you imagine Billy Crystal in in a role like yes, that. just because I don't know if I mentioned his name or not, but when I think of those eighties nice guy sort of mild mannered nebbishy leading men, absolutely, 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 and knowing that this goes back as early as it did, that it actually starts in the seventies, where Billy Crystal is quite a ways away from his his movie career and all that, um, I absolutely could see that it would be different. Because I was noting how there's, you know, there, there's frankly a little bit of an ethnic divide in these 80s uh, nebbishy guys. And the Jewish ones like Woody Allen and Billy Crystal have their own sort of thing going on. They feel a little more urban. They feel they just have a different flavor. Whereas John Ritter and Harry Anderson, they're just a little bit more of the waspy uh, nebbishy guy. Right. So it would be a little different, but yeah, I could totally see that. See how that, see how that would go down. Well, the one that I sort of compare him to is that he reminds me of young Tom Hanks Mm. in um, like Bosom Buddies sort of, because again, that wasn't one I watched a lot of, but just uh, again, you know, we were just watching Family Ties and there's Family Ties uh, two episode arc where Tom Hanks is guest starring and he's got you know that sort of similar energetic yeah comp physical comedy quick one-liners super likable kind of energy and that i i see i see those guys as kind of contemporaries in that way yeah i i would agree with that i would just say 
Hanks is even better and yes. not to be mean to John Ritter's ghost. But yeah, I think it, I think the fact that they were both super successful, but Tom Hanks was Tom Hanks and John Ritter was John Ritter. Like, I, I think that all kind of lines up. Yeah, that to- uh, totally. The, there's a, there's a moment in that, um, that episode of, um, of family ties where, uh, Tom Hanks has a, a sort of a mini monologue and like his acting chops. You're just like, oh, oh, that's why he win, wins yeah, Oscars. Yeah, like, you'll oh. go with him anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and John Ritter is also really good. And so interestingly, we don't get any actual airplane stuff no, in this episode. This, the airplane is not pictured. Not at all. We have just the fear of flying established. The, uh, the friend, I think it's Larry is his friend's name is like, Oh, I have tranquilizers. I'll bring him over. Don't worry. He comes back. Terry warns him. This is the last we see of her in the episode. Hey, don't take those. That's not a good idea. You don't know how you're going to react. And, and he's like, I won't take one. And then she leaves and he's like, I'll take two. Yeah. So and we, then they get to the party. Yeah. So we get, even though we don't get the airplane, we get all of his reaction to the the anxiety of going on the plane, which is a great sort of vehicle for all his weird manic energy. We get this fun sort of practice thing with the the friends, you know, sort of training him or helping him, you know, sit in this chair and pretend that it's that you're in the airplane and all oh, that. Right. I forgot about that. Yes. And then we get what is uh, is going to recur in another one of these shows. The fear of flying is a good way to get a straight laced character on drugs. Right. Yes. It's a good way to get a sort of nervous person who wouldn't necessarily be a drug guy all hopped up and acting weird acting weird so he he takes the the tranquilizers then we see jack and janet at the party and she's like wow you're so relaxed on the flight i'm so surprised i thought you said you were scared and then nah. and he's like oh yeah and then he starts to sort of like slump down the stairs and he's like sure i took some tranquilizers and she was like oh my goodness and then they offer him champagne and she's like no and then he's like why not you can't drink Drink on that. That's really dangerous. You have to be careful. So, of course, now we're setting something up for later on. He is doing a horrible job trying to uh, fit into this party even before he has anything to drink, just on the tranquilizers. He keeps making up jobs. My note on this was he's like the Joker in the Dark Knight. He has a different origin story for everybody he talks to. (laughs) He's just this like agent of chaos that's going around. He tells one lady he's a congressman. He tells another lady he's a doctor or whatever right and it's all because janet has said please don't tell anyone you're a chef because this is back before chefs had prestige because it was before food network yeah television you know what you can tell them you are though a priest no negative connotations with that a jesuit priest she was not happy with him with that either she (laughs) she gave him one and uh she gave him an elbow and then um so she goes out to the balcony with um barry williams with greg brady and we get sort of the uh, that sitcom thing where everyone's giving the least amount of information so it's very clear that greg brady is hitting on her and like wants to spend time with her but he also has just introduced them to this woman nancy who was on his arm so it would seem that she is his date to this and he asked janet to bring a date so why wouldn't one assume and then and then it comes out throughout the episode not even in this second conversation that they have but it 
that's his sister. Yeah. So then we go back inside and Nancy's trying to put the moves on Jack a little bit. And, you know, some guy comes over or she, she walks away and some guy comes over and has a drink called the rocket. Mm -hmm. That'll wake you up if you're feeling down. And he's like, no, no, I can't. Cause I can't have anything to drink. You know, I've got, I'm a brain surgeon. I have surgery tomorrow. Um, and so I got to keep my hands steady. And, and the guy's like, no, no, no alcohol in it. It's just a pep you up drink. Yeah, it doesn't take much convincing. And so he does have this drink. And uh, you pointed out to me afterwards that the version of this episode that we saw on Paramount Plus is, you know, truncated. Yeah. And so he does a truly virtuosic slapstick choreographed thing where he starts kind of slumping and flopping around because now he's combined his tranquilizers with whatever is in this red rocket thing and so the version we initially watched on paramount plus is you know it's a bunch of crazy slapstick stuff you watch him get more and more crazy and he's flopping around and he's doing a dance and right he goes he starts to flop around janet sees him acting weirder than he's been okay so the very beginning of this is he takes a sip of the drink and he kind of puts his head down and comes up with this face that I hope you use as the as the image of this show as like the thumbnail because it is hilarious. He comes up with this face where he looks like a rabid raccoon and that's the beginning of the rocket kicking in. So he starts moving and grooving and doing a little bit of dancing that's kind of like weirdly inappropriate humpy dancing and Janet sees him and pulls him out onto the balcony and is like what's going on and he's like moving his moving and grooving his way out to there and then he starts dancing with her and he grabs this older woman who's with you know talking to someone behind them and he's dancing with both of them and then he's spins Janet off off camera and he's like come on baby groove with me and takes the older lady and they hop back inside and he's dancing with her and then spins her around and she grabs a guy's toupee off his head and then falls onto the couch and then he's doing all you know all sorts of silly stuff he goes over to the bar and is dancing over there gets up on a table and is like they have fake tap dancing sounds jumps down off of that swings a lady over his leg slides backwards on an ottoman and then sees a lamp and decides he's going to dance with the lamp and gives the lamp a kiss and it cuts to Barry Williams and um, Janet out on the balcony having another conversation where we finally find out that Nancy's the sister. So full disclosure, the reason I wanted to include this episode and the reason I went looking for a trope in this episode was because I saw this full dance number on TikTok and laughed so hard. So I said to Jay, I'm like, wait, it doesn't end with the it doesn't end with the lamp. Um, there's this whole next part of that scene where he gets up on the actual bar and dances with a plant, falls off, and then comes up with a plant on his head. So wherever you're watching this, if you don't get the extended cut version where you get to see him coming up from behind the bar with the plant on his head, highly recommend. It's great. Yeah, look it up on YouTube because it does change it changes the comedy of it because the version we saw, there's, you know, just all of the things that you described. There is plenty of excess and craziness and slapstick hijinks. So you absolutely get that he's gone over the top and there are all these funny little beats. But when you see the whole thing play out, it's the comedy of 
it's gone so far beyond and it becomes fully choreographed like you're watching a full-blown old Hollywood musical yeah. where he's dancing down the stairs and using all it it just it's arranged in a way that it becomes surreal and so it it just goes to another level yeah, and it it's, really uh, is great and then the whole show kind of closes out where you know Jack then is embarrassed he's sitting on the couch he's all sweaty uh Nancy the sister comes over and is like giving him uh you know a wet cloth for his head or something and then he finds out she's the sister and then there's, you know, all of the people that he's lied to about his origin story. It comes back to bite him because she turns out she's a home ec teacher and she feels like all these people are just fakers. And he's like, that's so funny. I'm a chef. I, you know, and then everyone's like, oh, congressman, are you, you know, are you going to, and oh, don't you have surgery tomorrow? And so then she's like, ew, get away from me. You're as bad as the rest of them. Yeah. I'll, I just want to say about this one again, with all that slapstick stuff, that buzz of the live audience uh you just mm. really feel it and you see how as we move through these shows and we end up with a single camera one where it feels like you're watching a movie that is something that is lost over time and you just you really you can hear the individual audience members when he does this certain wild thing and you just hear somebody scream you know in surprise at at the thing he does yeah. uh, whatever you know however much john ritter's you know vibe didn't totally work for me in the dialogue scenes towards the beginning uh he's amazing in all of this <laughs> he brought it all stuff. back at the end it's really really so much fun to watch He's just having a good time. And I mean, we are later on in the series. I think, what did this run for, like eight seasons or nine seasons or something? So we're definitely later on in the series where he's he knows who he is. He knows who his character is. And so he's just having a good time and doing something fun, getting to do something a little bit different. Yeah. And so just to sort of track the, the fear of flying stuff, you had Red Fox you have it being such a, a great vehicle for his grumpiness. And now you see how you plug in that same fear of flying to a different kind of character. You get all that great, you know, sort of um, nervousness in the first half. And then that gets you to the drug use. And then that gets you to all this crazy shenanigans, you know, uh, that pay out in the second half. Right. Like I'm I, in my adult brain, I'm this most uh, un, uninhibited version of my silly self, which totally tracks with the Jack Tripper character. So, okay, then now what will it look like when we see Carla, who has she she also has sort of a grumpy kind of persona in cheers like that's going to you know where where are we going to go with that is it going to be more like red fox and the grumpiness or is it going to be like jack tripper being yeah, all silly exactly not to mention it's also a decade and a half or so uh later in in aviation from Sanford, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I think that's what seventy three, and then the yeah, Cheers is one 80s. is like eighty. Yeah, it's eighty eight. Okay, yeah, yeah. So let's get into Cheers season six, episode nineteen. There it is, Airport Five. Airport uh, Five, season six, episode nineteen. That's right. So, plot of this show is that Carla has a a new husband, Eddie, 
former hockey player is now uh, has gotten a job in like an ice capades kind of show where he is a penguin and he is going on tour and the first stop is in Seattle. So he wants her to come out to Seattle for, you know, to visit him after he's been out there for a little while to see the show. And at first she's kind of like not happy that he's not a hockey player anymore that he's doing this like silly costumey kind of thing but then she comes around but we find out that she doesn't want to go out there because she's afraid to fly she's afraid to fly now this is in the 80s now and carla is in her 40s probably so it's it's a little this isn't the same as like 60 or 70 year old red fox you know, in the 70s, being afraid of flying, it's a little more unusual. It's a little more of like her sort of quirk, I would say. Right. And she's so tough, yeah. right? Carla's never afraid of anything or mm -hmm. anyone. She's super, you know, she's scrappy. Like if anybody could be called scrappy, it's Carla. Yeah. And so at first her husband, Eddie, doesn't believe her, you know, because she doesn't say she's afraid to fly. Yeah. She just keeps kind of changing the subject and saying, yeah, yeah, I'll see you out there or whatever. And then he talks to Sam and is like, will you talk to her and find out what's going on? I think she's ashamed or I think she's embarrassed about my job. And that's what makes her come around and finally say she's scared to fly. And he's like, no way. There's no way. She, Carla's not afraid of anything. And so then she has to get on the phone and say, no, yeah, I, I actually am. And then Fraser walks into the bar and um, Sam's like, hey, I got some, you know, I got something for you. Will you help Carla? And he's like, oh, sure, I'll, I'll start a class. And, and in one week, you'll be you'll be cured because, you know, we'll slowly introduce you to the things that get you comfortable with your fear and all the things that scare you. And then by the end of the week, you'll be good to go and you can you can go and see Eddie's skating show. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Uh, you've got one character with a, who's ironically afraid of flying. You have one character who's a psychiatrist. Put them together. You got yourself a story. Gives an opportunity for Frasier to have his little weird sort of nervous energy that he has when he, um, you know, in every situation. But now we get to see him outside of the bar. Sure. We get to see him do his thing. But yeah, let, let's back up for a second. Uh, let's just talk about Cheers. Uh, what's your feelings on Cheers? I love Cheers. I remember Woody thinking he was so funny. Cheers was one of these shows that my parents watched. It was that, you know, before there was like must-see TV on Thursday nights. It was Thursday nights on NBC and we watched it. Yeah. We were in a huge Cheers household, but my dad famously looked like Frasier. For me, it was another case of like, there are no kids on this show. I don't know what a bar is, you know, like this is a grown up show about grown up issues. So in its original run, I wasn't that into it. What I will say watching it now, it's so good. You're right. Oh, like just, just the, the ensemble is amazing. Uh, and it is just, it's, it's so funny how, uh, how Woody Harrelson is just, is the one who out of all these people really turned into like one of the most amazing and interesting and, uh, super impressive actor. Yeah. And, and yeah, you wouldn't have necessarily foretold that, uh, seeing him here, but oh, yeah. no, but, but he, he's good. He's really like, he's, he, everybody has their lane. Everybody has their thing that they're, that they're doing. And it just like all of these James Burroughs shows, it just clicks, right? Yeah. Like it's every, you know, there's no, there's no waiting around the, yeah. everything is just kind of flying. There's always some, there's always a joke. There's always a little, you know, whatever. What does it feel? 
feel cluttered. You don't feel like they're they're battling for screen time or for importance. And what I noticed was they talk about like when Greg Daniels was developing The Office, how they wanted to make sure that all those people filling out the background uh, were interesting actors and comedians and improvisers, even though when they first started the show, they didn't necessarily have ideas or characters for all of them. But they knew that in this kind of show, you're going to always have people in the background. You're going to always be looking at people doing things while the main characters are doing whatever they're doing. And I really thought of that watching this one, where every shot, whatever it is that's going on in the foreground, there's stuff. You're looking at people all over the place. Some of them are characters we know. Some of them are just background artists, you know, miming dialogue, whatever. But you're always looking at people and it's subconsciously has an effect. It it changes the the experience of watching it than if you're just watching some living room set, you know, and then you combine that with the aesthetics of the show that in the eighties, you had so many like beige living rooms, you know, like my beloved Charles in charge, as much as I love it, it's just a beige living room. Well, you mauve. Know? There was a lot of mauve yeah, in that living room. You know, facts of life, different strokes, you know, so many of these these bland living room sets. This place is this beautiful wood and exposed brick and it's it's shot grass there was is that have you seen that before um you know this is a it's an actual bar right like established in the 1880s but this bar i had completely forgotten this has the wood part of the really like deep rich mahogany and then it has going around it a brass bar all yeah, the, like it's classy as hell what is what why is there a brass bar around the counter part of the bar the, i don't know the function it serves i just feel like between the wood and the brick and then just the feeling like i said of having all the the hubbub of the people all around in the background of the shots it just looks beautiful and has this warmth to it that uh, it it just like every second of it, just on like a visual level, feels like miles above your typical eighties sitcom. Set. Yeah, and then just visually, so we get Carla, and then we have the B plot, right? Which is Kirstie Alley's character, Rebecca. She's heard that there is a restaurant and or bar critic that's going to be coming around. Yes. The last time Cheers was reviewed by this guy, uh, it was not a good review. And Sam Malone in February 1988 calls him a hater. Yeah. Ted Danson invented the term hater, maybe? Did he? So I tried to look it up. And of course, everything is talking about Play Is Gonna Play, which is a song from the late 90s. Um, That's... It's hard to say. He's obviously not the first person to say the word hater, but when he when he casually threw out, oh, that guy's a hater, it did seem like he had traveled back in time. Yes. Both Jay and I just stopped and sort of looked at each other and we were like, did 
is that Hater's origin story? Yeah. So we get this great moment where the guy, the critic, comes into the bar and <laughs> Kirstie Alley does a gymnastic vault yes. over the bar in this long skirt. I mean, well, she's, Rebecca, her character. Rebecca, yes, yes. It's not actually good. It's a, it's a stunt double, which you can tell. But it is, it was very surprising in that moment to see she's wearing this long purple, very 1980s, uh, long skirt with boots outfit and she one hand vaults over the bar and the skirt is like flowing out i mean it was it was really a sight to be seen and so later on in the episode we get spoilers uh carla actually does conquer her fear of flying and go to see her boyfriend or sorry her husband in seattle but one of the times when he's on the phone with her there's a fight that has broken out uh like hockey players do but it's among all the ice capades characters and there's a woman who has brown hair and looks an awful lot like Kirstie Alley who is dressed in a princess outfit and starts throwing elbows and jumping into this hockey fight and is the only woman in in this scene and I was like huh I wonder if that's the woman who did the vault over the bar earlier in the episode you've got the mystery critic plot but yeah it's kind of unrelated from uh the main story I did I did note you know talking about the sort of squirrely nebbishy 80s leading men Ted Danson is a throwback. Now we're we're back in the more tough guy, uh, you know, sort of uh, broad-chested classical hunk. I think with Ted yeah. Danson. Yeah, I wouldn't consider Ted Danson's character a tough guy, but he definitely is. He's, he's a like a mat. I mean, he's matinee idol, right? He's a former athlete. He's yes. very he's very handsome. His hair was uh, like oddly lit I, in this show like or in this episode it was um like when he would bend down it would almost look like it was auburn like he had had some like red mm. coloring in it and then when he would lean back it would look more brown so it was it was interesting i wasn't i wasn't quite sure if we were now if we're far enough into this series where he's already dyeing his hair and also this episode was directed uh by norm yeah because james burroughs had pneumonia so Frazier says, yeah, I'm going to help you, Carla. Mm -hmm. And then we get another airplane set. Yes. Now, this is where I really feel the sort of limitations of that 22-minute sitcom format. Because they, they show up at the airplane set. It's an improvement on the, the Red Fox one. It's more modern. But they've enlisted this whole group therapy thing, right? They've, right. they've you know, recruited a half a dozen other patients. And Frazier has given this whole seminar or study or whatever it is, uh, showing them, helping them overcome their fear of flying. And this is the culmination in a however many session long, you know, course that they've all done. Right. And he, he sold it earlier in the episode that it was going to be a week. Yeah. So and, this is at the end of like five days or six days or something. And we didn't get to see any of this. No. We went from him saying, this is what is going to ha what is going to happen in the bar to here we are in the plane. Uh, you know, what a fun week that was. So I kept getting confused as to whether or not this was a simulation, right? Cause they had flight attendants and they had everybody was buckling in and they were saying, Oh, sir, you have to take your seat. We're about to take off. And, and all of that was happening. But then I was confused because I was like, well, 
all of these other patients aren't going to be flying to Seattle with Carla. So it seems as though they, and I guess plane tickets were cheap enough that you had, they had like a practice flight oh, as part of this session. Oh, that's not how I took it. That's funny. I didn't think about the fact that none of the other patients would have a reason to go <laughs> where she was going. Right. I just thought it was like, yeah, I'm going to get a bunch of people who are definitely afraid of flying and uh, it's going to end with us all taking a flight. I don't know if maybe one of the conditions for the study was like, you also need to have business in Cleveland no, or whatever. This, this I was, was. going to say, they didn't, this wasn't Seattle. This wasn't the flight to Seattle. This How was a different that, flight though? because later on in the episode, when we get the, the payoff of the story and everyone's teasing Rebecca as though she has slept, they get a good review. So they're like, you know, you must have slept with this critic. Carla is gone and Frazier is there. Carla has flown to Seattle. Frazier did not because I thought this Frazier was a came flight. back nope. without her. Nope. And at this point, we don't know that Fraser has any connection to Seattle. That happens much later on yes. in Fraser the series. Uh, Fraser is like taking on this air of authority and talking to his patients as they're strapping into the the seats in the plane and, you know, telling them, you know, think about this and that and remember your exercises and whatnot. And I remember thinking like, wow, the, the flight crew is just letting him sort of like take over here and kind of going like, well, it's a little unrealistic, but I don't know if you had like a teacher with their students on an airplane, you would let them kind of stand up and tell them what to do and stuff. Yeah, he was uh, standing in the aisle and then he kept, there were, there were a few seats behind. So Carla had a row to herself and then there was, um, there was a woman in the row behind her that was on the aisle that was part of their group. And then there were two guys in the front row that was next to Carla that were also as part of this group. And then there were a few other people kind of sprinkled in the background in the well, so in that that's, plane. That's it. Were there people on this plane who were not involved in the study? There were there were definitely people in the back couple of rows that were not looking at Fraser and nodding along or looking yeah, like they were scared like in any way. No. Then they weren't part of the study. So what that but they were part of the study. He hired them as background actors. No, I don't think so. I think this, like I'm saying, this was a real flight. Like they booked tickets on a real flight that was short. They went okay, somewhere. So you're saying it was practice, but a real flight. Right. Practice in the sense that it wasn't the flight Carla had to take exactly. to Seattle. This was Got a it. different flight. It was, I don't know where it was going. I don't, I don't know what they were doing, but it was an actual that flight. That is wild. I know. I, I don't, was like, how did- I don't know if I agree, frankly. I still think then that it may be that they went to Seattle and Carla said- I'm going to stay with him for a while. So, See you in a couple weeks. I'm going to tell you what the official synopsis says. Okay. When the flight ends, Carla has overcome her fears, but Frazier is now afraid to fly. Later, Carla flies to Seattle without problems while Frazier is still traumatized. I guess you're right. So yeah, we didn't even mention the twist that's hinted at in that story. Right. Uh, once... Once everybody has sort of calmed down all of Frazier's little weirdo patients that he's recruited, he starts freaking out because he sees ice on the wing or whatever. No, there's turbulence. And OK, so that's one of the things that happen is the like fears unfold. You have a guy and one of the guys that's sitting in the front row is like, is it OK that I brought the St. Christopher medal and um, or medallion or whatever? And Frazier's like, of course, if it helps you, then that's good. And Carla's like, oh, great. And she unzips a hoodie and she. 
She's got crucifixes and rosaries and St. Christopher medals. Same strategy as Red Fox. And she just has a ton of, ton of stuff. It's hanging around her like Mardi Gras beads. Like it's, it's a lot. Same thing Red Fox did. Yeah. Yeah. And then another one of the moments is, you know, Everybody's listening. All the the three other people that seem to be engaged with Fraser and his help and do the breathing when he or the meowing when he tells them he tells them to do this like meow thing when they have to calm down. They're like meow 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 meow. It's very creepy. And um, but Carla, being Carla, is kind of pushing back on him at every turn. And at one point, you know, he's he's like, "There's nothing wrong. You know, there's nothing wrong. It's all fine. You know, we're we're just taxiing." or whatever and then she looks out the window and she's like is ice on the wing a problem and then he looks out the window and he's like no no that's just the sun that's that's the sun that's the sun glinting off and and he starts to get more and more nervous and then they hit some rough air and he's like when at first when they hit it he uh he calls it it's just um clear air turbulence it's just cat everybody meow because it's just cat and that's when the meowing starts but then there's a little bit more and he freaks out and he jumps into his seat and puts on his seatbelt and starts doing some heavy breathing and carla's like hey are you okay just meow and he's like oh get away from me with this meow stuff there's ice on the wing and we're all gonna crash yeah and And it's actually kind of true to life i think that sometimes Somebody else freaking out can be the best way to calm down, mm-hmm. you know, and him sort of losing his cool kind of snaps Carla out of whatever her anxiety was. Right. So, yeah, with this one, you know, if we had Fear of Flying brings out your grumpiness in Red Fox, it brings out your wackiness in uh, John Ritter. With this one, it's kind of all about like to show that you care about somebody like to, to, you know, the, the sacrifice almost of facing your fear of flying in order to prioritize your loved one is really like what it kind of comes down to. Right. I think that, and then I think also the thing you mentioned about oftentimes the best way to get over a fear yourself is to see someone else having that same irrational fear. And Carla says that, later in the episode, she's like, yeah, I saw him freaking out. And I was like, it'll be all right. You know? And so when you see somebody else, then it, it kicks in that like, mothering instinct or paternal instinct it kicks in that care thing that we all have in us or i mean it also makes you realize many of us have (laughs) it also makes you realize how silly they look right it just changes your your outlook your perspective Um, and so that is what turned her around and then she was able to go and see her husband and that's kind of it you know like you said she was a tough gal so it's sort of ironic that she's afraid of that but then it's like somebody like that the things they are scared of, it's going to be hard to get them to confront it. So, right. well, because they're so sort of surly in the first place, yeah. it's hard to make it's hard to make people like that do anything that they don't want to do and have no reason to. I think what's similar about all of our characters that have been so far that have been afraid to fly uh, is that they are like hometown people. You yeah. know, they're like living and working in the place where they sort of grew up and there was never any need to mm-hmm. to fly there was never any need to go anywhere else and so this presented that opportunity and um they wouldn't have known that they were afraid to fly until that opportunity was presented it changes a little bit i think when we get to blackish yes uh let's talk blackish blackish 
This is season two, episode seven, and I know you love this, titled Charlie in Charge. Charlie in Charge, tribute to the greatest American television show uh, (laughs) ever. God, Um, no. So uh, Blackish is not a show I'm super familiar with. I remember, you know, the ubiquitous subway ads and stuff when it came out. But I was never an Anthony Anderson fan. You know, he was one of these guys that would always pop up as the funny guy yeah. in movies. And, you know, nothing against him, but it's it wasn't something I ever looked into. Like you said, we're going into this halfway through the second season, and I feel like both of us were just kind of dropping in uh, pretty much cold, right? Yeah. So again, same. I not a show that I watch, um, you know, or or know. I know about all the spinoffs and everything, but I I'm going back and watching the show. This show is hilarious. Yeah. Like they, I mean, it's it, a family situation comedy, sort of a little bit like Modern Family, but not it didn't need all of the extra like you don't have to have a million and one different families to bring mm-hmm. the storylines together there's just there's a quickness to the dialogue there's a snappiness even in the child like the kid actors well, I'd say especially those kid kids. actors are they're great like the young the youngest daughter oh my gosh i could watch her all day she's so funny and then um the guy who plays charlie is he's a comedian, right? Dion Cole. Yeah, he's a comedian, and he he is cracking me up. His whole character in this in this is like, oh, that little girl's a witch. Like he's like afraid of the little girl, and he's the one that's babysitting by accident. It's wonderful. Yeah, I would say a couple things. First, you see immediately the sort of modern single camera difference because right. this begins in media res, as we like to say in the biz. Uh, it begins on the plane in the middle of Anthony Anderson's freak out. And right. uh, it's completely cinematic. You know, you've yes. got all of these different perspectives and interesting angles and you're jumping around and just the whole vibe of it. You feel that jump 20, 25 years ahead yes. in TV technology. Yes. Uh-huh. It, 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 30 years ahead because we went from Cheers 1988 to 2015, this episode. And we get what we know as an experience of being on the plane as cramped. You have Dre, the main, the dad character. He He's in the middle seat of a row of three, and you got two guys on either side of him. His shoulders are broader than the seat behind him, and he's drugged because he takes anti-anxiety medicine in order to be able to fly and you see him like falling asleep and nodding off and kind of laying his head on the guy next to him and then waking up because he's touching a stranger and you really get that cramped feel like the camera's right up close you're not seeing a bunch of other seats on the plane because they don't have that camera in the wide right yeah. they you're just seeing the three kind of very like I said very it feels it feels claustrophobic in the way that a plane does and then it flashes back he goes well how did we get here and it flashes back and it tells us his backstory of having had a very traumatic flight at one point it's one of those i i would say a lot about this show feels very of its time i feel like one thing you had a lot of on TV at this time is those super quick little cutaway mm-hmm, scenes mm-hmm. or mini scenes or whatever. Yes. And you get one of those where he goes like, I'll tell you why I hate flying. And then you just get like five seconds of, 
It's like the the airbags are dropping down from the ceiling and the plane is crashing. Or yeah, the, the oxygen masks are coming down from the ceiling and the plane is, you know, people are freaking out and it's got that like shaky camera movement to let you know that things are not uh, not feeling good. And then it just immediately flashes back and to the present and we're in his office. Yeah. Like I said, we're not super familiar with the show. So for me, the dynamics of all these characters, it, it took a little figuring out, right. right? He's working with, he's, he's working with a handful of his colleagues, including Charlie Dion Cole, who is, you know, this sort of family friend character that he works with. And you look at this guy and you listen to him, right? He looks kind of strapping and he has this very silky smooth voice, this sort of Barry White kind of voice. So my initial sort of assumption is, okay, this is his friend from work. This is going to be like Jay from Herman's Head. This is going to be a sort of sexed up, you know, like sort of macho man or smooth customer. Right, he's customer. the single one. Like what right. we, we, you, you always have like one friend that's a single guy right. or that but, is a man about town. Yes, you think this guy is going to be, be very confident and uh, strapping. And he is because yeah. he has, we find out he's on the phone with a, a former flame, but then he comes back and he's taken that out and there, uh, he's taken out his earpiece and he's like, oh, you know, she's coming into town or she wants to whatever. He's like, but I'm never going to see her. And they're like, well, well, why? If you, if she was the woman who got the one that got away, you know, you're single. Why wouldn't you see her? And he was like, oh, I have phone game. I don't have in-person game. Right. <laughs> so he's very inane. In in a lot of ways, like he he specifically is is insecure about his his game, right? His game with the ladies, and in a more general sense, he's he's just odd. He's yeah, he's, he's just strange he, and quirky. He's quirky. He's a wacky. He's a wacky friend character, a hundred percent. Which we see in the little scenes where he's at his house with his son. Uh, they're playing video games, and we get this like visual comedy bit twice in the episode where he gets a call or something happens and he is going to leave the house. He's going to leave the apartment and his kid is now in the dark because he leaves and, and he turns off the light and, and his kid goes, dad. Like, and it's really, it's just great. It's like, he doesn't, he's, he's so in his own world. Right. But it was hard for me at first to sort of get a handle on this characterization. Cause like I said, his look and his voice and everything just sort of didn't match at first. And then what I sort of likened it to is he's a little bit like Joey from Friends. Like he's he's like a little bit of a himbo. You know, it's it's a different version of that. He's yeah. definitely not exactly like that, but he's somebody that if you just look at him or just listen to him talk, he's he's smoldering, you know, mm -hmm. just like mm -hmm. Joey was. But then you get to know him just a little bit, and he's got that sort of puppy dog quality to him right. where he's lovable because he's a little dumb or is he you know is he just quirky in is it is it dumb or is he just quirky i i don't know like what it kind of reminded me of is chris traeger uh, Rob Lowe's character in Parks and Rec, right? Sure. Like, and I think Rob Lowe recently gave an interview where he said he's a character actor trapped in a matinee idols 
body or a leading man's body or whatever. And I was like, that's what I kind of see in this, Definitely. in this guy. Well, I think that's something that he does. I think, uh, John Hamm, you know, all these guys, uh, I think that's exactly what Dion Cole is doing where it's like, part of the joke is that they are so good looking, right? you know, and, and that's, they're able to use that in a way that's funny. Yeah. The main story is, uh, Anthony Anderson and his wife. So that's uh, Tracy Ellis Ross. And she went to Brown in real life. And their daughter in this show is um, going on college tours and wants to tour Brown. And so Bo is super excited to, they live in California, super excited to take her daughter to her alma mater. Mm -hmm. And that's why they have to fly. Yeah, and so we get another case of uh, give me the drugs, right? right? Anthony Anderson is all weird because he's hopped up on drugs. Yeah, um, and so we don't get any of the like pre. Oh no, anxiety! I'm scared of flying. This was this was the first show of the of the four where there was no because of the way we started it. There was no surprise that this person was afraid to fly. It was established right from jump, and so then it was like we were just waiting to get back to that moment of him being on the plane where we started. Right. But there is a return journey to contend with, and that's going to be a little bit of a plot point too. But yeah, the main story is about them sort of uh, coming to terms with the daughter going to college. The fear of flying aspect of it isn't really central to the story, except that when they're on their way home, Anthony Anderson doesn't have his drugs. And the, he, he basically says, like, I'm going to tough it out now, because if you do choose to go to this faraway college, I'll I'll have to get used to this. And so he's basically doing the same thing as Carla and saying, you know, I'm going to prioritize my daughter and, uh, you know, tough it out and get over my fear of flying. Yeah. And we see a bunch of times throughout the episode him trying to big up UC schools, you know, like any of the, you know, California university system, state schools. Um, so he's trying to big those up because, and he says to his daughter at the end, like, I can't stand the thought of you being three miles away, let alone 3000 miles away. And so this whole thing is just, it's going to be hard. Will you hold my hand? And it's a very sweet moment. But what we didn't know at the beginning was where this was all going. Cause at the beginning, like we said, he's sitting in between two random, Mm -hmm. strangers that are not like part of the cast of the show so like where where's his family on the on the journey over well so we find out in this great little scene <laughs> that his family doesn't sit with him on planes because of the way he is yeah and so they give him his drugs and they put him in coach and they let him sleep and they flew first class. So that was a, a fun little switch around for that. And then in the end, when we see the second on the plane scene, he's up in first class with his daughter having this conversation. And that one, we don't get that claustrophobic feel as much because they're shooting from the aisle, um, sort of right. sideways into the seat because and the, the seats vibe, are bigger. Right. Because the vibe isn't like that anymore. Right. He's not panicking. Yeah. And so it's sort of the same sentiment as Cheers. 
But to be honest, it the other storyline, I guess you would call it the B plot, oh, that is the, the more fun. It's so much fun. The Charlie in charge version. Like, yeah, it is a storyline. It's it's another version of the classic big lie story that, you know, I love to hate in all these movies and shows. <laughs> Uh, where you're going to begin your relationship with lying about everything about yourself, right? That's what Dion Cole is doing. He he invites the woman over to the main family's house to have the three kids of the main family pose as his kids. And I love the daughter. The youngest daughter. Right. The youngest the daughter. away. Yes. The youngest daughter explains my sentiments perfectly. She says, this plan comes pre-ruined, right? There's no way, like, there's just no way it could. It's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, there's no way this could ever work. It's so silly that you don't even really worry about it. What I love about this is, again, we're coming to this fresh, so we don't know to what extent these different quirks of the characters have been established. Apparently, the son loves Nancy Myers movies. Oh, this is so good. Okay, can, we got to set this whole thing up, though. So let's go back a little bit. So Dre's on the plane, and he, uh, his wife says to him as she's walking up to first class, like, hey, call Charlotte the babysitter and make sure she gets there. So he's like, call Charlie, call Charlie. Calls and, Charlie. And calls Charlie instead of Charlotte. So that's how this character ends up babysitting in the first place. Yeah. And the daughter, the youngest daughter had been so excited and so had the younger son so excited that Charlotte was going to babysit because she's this great babysitter that makes them banana splits. And then Charlie shows up. And the daughter is like, the youngest daughter is just not having it. She's like, are you? No way. The youngest daughter character is very much, if you remember Abigail Breslin in 500 Days of Summer, the sort of super precocious, you know, it's always the littlest, youngest kid that has an answer for everything and is the smartest one in the room. And she she reminds me a little bit of um, uh, what's her face in Bob's Burgers, too. She has that sort of dry, yeah, dry delivery. Yeah, you don't mess with me. I don't suffer fools, that kind of thing thing yeah and so she's at odds with him the whole time and also at odds with the oldest brother Mm -hmm. the oldest brother who he's um he's like 14 and he's a romantic we find out and loves nancy meyer's movies and then so he and the younger brother are gonna help dion cole Cole, charlie 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 in this yeah they're gonna help charlie pull off this plan because the girl that he had been on the phone with before facetimes him and he's like i can't do it i don't have any facetime game i can't i can't do it and the older son is like no you can do this is you know is it something's got to give or it's complicated like which to me there is no question something's got to give is a masterpiece and it's complicated is uh not that great. But he he chooses something's got to give wardrobe wise anyway, because he shows up in the next scene with the white turtleneck and white pants, just like Diane Keaton wears in something's got to give. He later asks to be cut out of it, which is what Jack Nicholson does with her in that movie. It's all just really fun and quirky, you know, and it's just kind of playing against your expectations for the different characters. Like I said, the fact that Dion Cole is so strapping and that all this guy in real life would have to do would be like 
nothing for women to be attracted to him. Well, but the history of this is kind of weird too, right? Because all of this quirkiness that we're noting in his character, the reason that he and this girl didn't last is because he impregnated her Cinnabon co-worker and... I'm assuming that's the child that we see in the dark multiple times. So yeah, it's like she peaced out on him because he cheated. And, uh, but now is like coming back into his life because she thinks that he has gotten his life together and he is trying to, to um, pull off that this is his house and these are his kids because he's gotten his life so together. And that's the thing. And by the way, this, the girl, the, the woman in the episode, it's uh, her name's Dominique in the episode, but it's Amber Rose. Who's sort of, um, she's kind of, uh, she's like girlfriend famous. She dated Kanye West. And then I think she's with like Wiz Khalifa or something now. Like, and um, I know her because I watched her on dancing with the stars and I knew she was like tabloid fodder, but she like, that's her. I, I don't, know that if she was like maybe like a struggling actress and started dating rappers or whatever but like that's who like she's this girl that is sort of famous in the same ways that the you know like paris hilton's and kim kardashians get famous Mm -hmm. this one was really interesting and uh yeah i liked it a lot i felt like it was very of its time like even though 2015 is not that long ago i feel like just the sensibility of this show the sense of humor I just felt that sort of post 30 rock energy to it, to that yes, sensibility. With a little, like, a little music, like, n- not as quirky as the music in 30 rock and as upfront, but there was a little bit, and then the quick cuts. Uh, and it's not a criticism, but it, it's just interesting to, to sort of notice that. And I guess the one thing I found myself thinking was, you know, the characters are all very quirky in their own ways. And again, we're sort of struggling to get a handle on it because we're just watching this random episode. But it made me wonder, like, would this be a better match for the old timey way of doing sitcoms for a a multicam where maybe the whole the whole feel of it is a little louder and a little more in your face because this feels like you're watching a movie. You know, this feels like a very low key down to earth experience and the characters are really friggin' silly a lot of the time. A lot of the times. I think definitely we could have done Kevin can fuck himself kind of a thing mm-hmm. where the 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 scenes that were in the house where he was like making it like this is my fake life, this is sure. this is my uh you know pretend thing could have been done in the way that you're talking about and it would have been a stylistic choice as well because of the fakeness of it, you yeah. know, that he was like putting it on in the studio audience and, you know, even sort of some sort of joke to the, like, why are there people here? <laughs> you know what I mean? Something like that. Like that, that could have been done, but truthfully, it just, it was, so, it was so good. Like I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't change anything. <laughs> no, I guess my feeling is I think I liked it too. I feel like I didn't like it. I didn't get into it as much as you did. I think, there was just a little bit the same way I feel about these these office episodes we've been watching that are towards the end of the series where it's like everybody's wacky, everybody's silly, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's it becomes like a craziness contest, you know, and it's it's like 
the wife says she uses the word dork to describe herself at right. the end. And I'd say like that, that fits. That actually sort of helped me. That was like a little bit of a shortcut for me to kind of understand where she was coming from. And to an extent where the whole family is coming from is they're dorks. And that's, that's kind of the fun of it. And look, I love Bob's burgers. That's kind of similar where like, there's no straight man. Everybody is crazy. Right. And so I think, I think it's probably good but it was just it was overwhelming maybe to drop in like that and again it that was just a sort of observation i made that the reality of that filming technique didn't totally match the zaniness of, of the sense of humor yeah but so looking back on all these fear of flying uh tv episodes what do we think mvp what best worst uh through lines mm, this is okay so i'm having a hard time finding an mvp in in this run and that's because i liked blackish so much that it, i mean now it's it's going to be a new just kind of something i put on so i i'm super interested in this show now so that's got to vote because of that like just it's such a good show i want to go back to the beginning and see like what is this who are these characters are they always like you know did this girl the the youngest daughter did she start off like this or was she just like you know somebody figured out how to write for her and she was so funny like do so they talk about nancy myers in every episode or just this one <laughs> probably just this one you know like i just i want to see more you know like i said when we were talking about three's company john ritter and all of his physical comedy brilliance i that was why i wanted to to include this episode you know i wanted to see that see what was the story behind it because i had seen the youtube or the tiktok video of of that clip and just was so looking forward to that so you know of course that was fun it wasn't a surprise so i can't say that that would be you know that was the best one because i knew it was coming had i not known it was coming probably would have been my favorite how do you go wrong with cheers right like Cheers is amazing. This wasn't a grand episode of Cheers. This was a sort of down the middle, you know, yeah. whatever. Okay, fine episode of Cheers. And then Sanford and Son, which is you have Red Fox and maybe you know more about the history of um, stand-up comedians getting their getting sitcoms. Like this has to be one of the is first. Is this early in that? I mean, like this is a prime example of, yes. you know, like this led to Seinfeld, right? Like this Red Fox, it's, it's just, we're all, all the jokes, like you said, are set up so that he can hit these home runs and do these funny bits. And, and it, within the first five minutes, he has the heart attack, which is what you wait for in every episode. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, this is, it's, it's a hard one. I think now that I've talked through it again, I think Blackish has got to win just because I'm I'm so interested in it. But yeah. For me, and uh, I agree, this is one of the strongest lineups we've had. Uh, I think I wrote more notes for this one than any of the others we've done so far. Uh, these were all really fun. To me, I had the reaction to Sanford and Son that you had to Blackish, where I'm like, oh, now when I'm bored and, you know, idle, I'm going to watch Sanford and Son. I just, yeah, like I said before, I really appreciated the sort of simplicity and purity of like, it's like a comic strip. It's just like watching Charlie Brown and Linus, you know, it's just like these two characters in these like simple archetypal situations. And uh, it is just like, it was, it was like one step removed from even the old 
sort of rudimentary sitcoms that we watch, like the Brady Bunch or Gilligan's Island or something. This just really felt super stripped down, back to basics, like, you know, just kind of watching it in its purest form. And it's really fun. And just his personality was so fun. For sure. So what is in store for next week? Next week, we are talking about the high school reunion. We have many, many shows on the list, but we've selected four kind of throughout history. We're going to start with the Andy Griffith show in 1963, season three, episode 19, class reunion. Moving on to Married with Children, it's a two-episode arc, season three, episodes 17 and 18. It's called Married with Prom Queen and Married with Prom Queen, the sequel. Then we'll go to Martin, season two, episode two, really, Gina's Not My Lover. And we'll end it up with 30 Rock, season three, episode five, Reunion. Uh, Yeah, so that's Class Reunions next week. And until then, we will declare this segment of the sitcom study concluded. Thank you for listening to The Sitcom Study. Tell us what you think or share your own TV tropes and topic ideas by sending a self-addressed stamped email to sitcomstudypodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you like the show, consider leaving a rating or review on your podcast app. It helps us boost those precious Nielsen ratings. The Sitcom Study is recorded in front of a live studio dog. Studio dog.